we are now entering into the next portion of our sermon series, and we're entering into singleness. Now, married couples, before you turn me off and say, hey, I don't need to listen to this, I think this is going to be really important for you too. And because this is so important, we're going to spend two weeks on this. And so I want to encourage you not only to um, kind of take notes today and just kind of let this in your heart and your spirit, but also to return back next week. And if you know somebody um, who is in that time of singleness and um, just needs a little bit, just a little encouragement, or maybe they're content in their singleness, whatever the case may be, um, I want you to maybe invite them back next week. Um, I really am excited for what I feel like God wants to say through me and um, just really excited. But I want to start off with a story. Uh, this morning about Jamila and myself. Um, you know, this story, I think I coined the term, have you ever heard of accidental dating? Oh, you have. Apparently, I didn't coin this term. Uh, so I want to tell you a little bit about accidental dating. It's kind of like you didn't plan it that way, but you just ended up on a date. Anybody ever been in that situation? Uh, and let me explain to you how accidental dating has worked in my life. Usually when you are in an accidental dating situation, um, and what I mean, well, I'll explain. Usually what happens is, uh, usually you're hanging out with a group of people, and you're all having a great time together, and it's, you know, mixed. There's, there's girls and there's guys, men and women. You just, have, you just enjoy being around each other. But all of a sudden, because you all hang out a lot, there's just a few of y'all that just start to connect a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Like, after a while, you're playing games, you're hanging out, and all of a sudden that person starts to look a little cuter over there. And before you know it, um, you've been hanging out as a group and everyone's friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's caught your eye. And then usually what begins to happen is um, the group hangs out, y'all hang out, and then all of a sudden this kind of, this two little kind of ultimately couple off, and maybe they start to hang out on their own a little bit. Maybe there used to be a group chat, you know, but all of a sudden you're kind of texting somebody one off, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of taking it to that next place. Some of you are looking at me like that's never happened before in your life. Other you, some of you are cracking up laughing because I'm describing your life. But, uh, but I'm, I, I, this is a true story. And so then all of a sudden, you know, the group starts to hang out, and then, like, the two start to show up together. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That means y'all had to hook up before we all hung out. And then the group starts talking. Usually some start talking trash, right, because then it's all weird and it gets awkward and nobody really knows what's going on and all that is kind of. But, uh, but as, as, the time, as time goes on, um, you know, this kind of couple begins to formulate and it was kind of birthed out of all of these friends and just kind of out of nowhere. It wasn't intentional. But all of a sudden, what we have is a situation in which people are starting to, what, they're starting to enjoy each other's company, right? And and a little story about my wife and I, um, we were friends for a very, very long time. And uh, the crazy thing was is that God had called me to be a youth pastor. And when I was going to take over the youth ministry, um, that youth group in particular, 75% of that youth group was girls when I was called to take over it. And so I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> Most of them are girls. And if anybody knows anything about teenage girls, right, uh, that shit, you know, that's tough in its own. And so um, I wanted to, uh, so I wanted to make sure that I went into this ministry prepared. So I approached my good friend, which happened to be my wife, Jamila. Um, but at the time, she was a good friend. And I said, hey, would you like to 
would you like to, you know, kind of help me out with this youth ministry? There's a lot of girls, and I just feel like, you know, a woman would be best suited to minister to teenagers at this level and females, and we can kind of tag team. And, she, of course, she was excited to be in ministry, and so we went into ministry together. And what began to happen was uh, we, would, we were excited, and we began to meet and have these little meetings, right? And, again, we're just friends, and we're having these meetings, and we're talking about what God wants to do in the youth ministry, and we're, um, and we're talking about just all these kind of cool things and ideas. And all of a sudden, we're meeting, and then what happens is we start to meet uh, almost every week. We start to text almost every day. And then all of a sudden, before the meeting, we went to dinner, then went to the meeting. And then at the meeting, it was just us. It was not like it was a team. And then we went to dinner after the meeting. And then all of a sudden, we stopped meeting, and we're only going to dinner. And then one day we're going to the movies. It has nothing to do with youth group. And I knew it was weird because we're walking to the movies and we looked at each other and said, how weird would it be if we saw somebody from our church? And at that moment I realized this is awkward. I think we are accidentally dating. Like nobody planned it, but it just kind of naturally progressed to that point. And, uh, and so this morning, uh, like any good relationship, before things move forward, it's always good to, anybody ever heard of DTR? Is that old? Do you still use that? No. Okay. Well, we, are, we, <laughs> we like any good relationship, uh, before it moves forward, you always need to, you need to DTR. So let me, let me tell you what DTR is. It just means define the relationship. Right, and so what we needed to, what we realized was, is wait a minute, we're not doing ministry no more. This is more than that. We're watching movies together, and so we need to get to a place where we have a real conversation about, hey, what is really going on? Because let me ask you guys this question without a show of hands: um, Have you ever been in one of those awkward relationships where one was like a really good friend, and then the other one really like started to really like, and that gets really you no. Know, you guys are a really rough crowd. Smile at me real quick today. Yeah, Jeffrey took all the joy out of the, okay, out of the house. Okay. Um, and, so, uh, and so you want to detail, you want to define the relationship. And so as we get into singleness and we get into what um, God says and thinks about singleness, um, I want to take a couple of minutes um, to define the relationship, to DTR, what it means, um, not what singleness means, but just the whole idea of singleness. And I want us to kind of have a wide range perspective of it so that when we study it, we can understand why it's so important that we study singleness. So let me just tell you this. Um, being single at 20, not all, well, first of all, not all singleness is the same. You can't just lump all singles into the same category. Being single as a teenager is different than being single as a 20-year-old. Being single as a 20-year-old is different than being a single as a 30 or a 40-year-old. And being single as a 40-year-old is a heck of a lot different than being single as a 50, 60, or 70-year-old. Amen? And so not all singles are the same. Some in this room are divorced. Some are widowed or widowers. Some are single by choice and love it. And there are others of you that might long to be married and are extremely frustrated and you hate it. Uh, but whatever the case may be, one thing is really true and certain. And this is what I want you guys to know. The church needs a healthy theology of singleness just as bad as it needs a healthy theology of marriage. The church 
needs a healthy theology of singleness just as bad as it needs one for marriage. Now, let me explain. In 2014, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported, you know how many singles are in America right now? And this was in 2014. 124.6 million single Americans over the age of 16 right now. So that equals... There is about 50.2%, that's about 50.2% of the population in the United States. In fact, 2014 was the first time in our country's history that the unmarrieds outnumbered the marrieds in this country. It's estimated right now that one in seven, pe one in seven people live alone. That's 31 million people, are you ready for this, compared to 4 million in 1950. One article that I was reading earlier this week, it remarked, American society is in the midst of a fundamental social and demographic shift. And this singleness shift was noted by a sociologist, and he says this, the greatest, this, is, this singleness is the greatest social change in the last 60 years that we haven't named or identified yet. This idea of this millions of Americans, this, this idea that we've never seen before in our history where now in America we have more unmarrieds than marrieds is one of the greatest fundamental shifts that we've seen as a culture that we're not studying nor identifying in this moment. And in California alone, there's 51% of the population is single. Now, as I say all this, what, what does this really mean to us as a church? Hear me out. If we neglect, if we downplay, if we fail to stay relevant to our single brothers and sisters, then we as a church are failing to be on mission. If we fail to stay relevant to our single brothers and sisters, if we neglect them, if we downplay them, if we look at singleness as if it's just some sort of disease that you need to be healed from and hurry up and get married, then we are failing to speak to the majority of our population. And we are failing in our missional call to spread the gospel to all nations, all people. Are you with me? And so my prayer as I've been praying for this particular, um, this particular message, my prayer is that inspired church would become a church who honors singles. That we would become a church who honors singles just as much as we honor married couples. And when I, as I was thinking about this, I want inspired church to become a destination church for single adults. I want inspired church to become a destination church for single adults. And here's why. Because they know that we're a church who values and celebrates their singleness. Plus, I kind of like the idea of people finding their boo at Inspire. You know what I'm saying? I kind of like that. Right? There's some of you that say, you know what? I, I, if I didn't go to Inspire Church, I wouldn't have found my, my husband or my wife. I kind of like that idea. So can I just prophesy for a little bit? I just pray right now. That inspired church will become a boo-producing church in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray singles from far and wide would come into this house and you'd bring your junk and the Lord would heal you first. Amen? And then after that, you would walk in your car and you'd look over to your left and be like, oh my God, who is that? Look at him worship. Hallelujah. And ladies, when I say worship, your heart, not your legs. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to go over too well or not. 
But I'm really praying that we become a boo-producing church. I want you to, you know, and it's, t- it's, t- it's hard out there, amen? If you're a single, it is hard. And the church ain't doing too good on, when the church doesn't win the loss, you feel like you got to win them on your own through dating. <laughs> so we need to do a better job. We need to partner with some of the singles, amen? amen. We need to. <laughs> and, and let me just say this. Hey, hey, men of God, if you're a single man, become a member of the church, work in the children's ministry. It's a great place for you. Amen. It's a great place to practice. You might meet somebody in there, Amen. You know, I heard one pastor say, you're both in there holding a baby. Like, hey, you want to do this? Let's do it for real. You know, like. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, I thank you. I, I ask that um, for the next two, uh, two weeks, this morning and next week, that you would speak truth to the lies. I pray that. Uh, Everybody in here would feel a sense of honor. I pray most importantly for the singles in this room, no matter where they're at in their life, that they would feel comforted, they'd feel celebrated, they feel honored, and that they'd walk out of here knowing that there's a call, there's a grace, there's a gift, there's a priority, and there's a joy that you want to place over their lives, and that we don't have to walk out of here hanging our heads, and I ask that you would just bless us, you'd speak to us this morning. And we pray that this church will be a boo-producing church. And everyone who agree with me, say amen. 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 Like I was telling you earlier, because this topic is so important, I want to take a few weeks to discuss it. And so this morning, we're probably going to be able to only talk about the call of singleness. And we'll dive a little bit into the gift of singleness. And then next week, I want you to come back. Because we're going to finish off by talking about the priority of singleness. And then I'm going to share, at first I thought it was six, but I was driving here. My wife kind of added an extra one. I want to share seven truths that confront seven lies in the culture regarding singleness. And so this morning will be a little theological. Next week we'll stay theological. But next week we're going to get real practical talk a little bit about dating and that type of thing. And so I would really love, if you can, to plan to be here. Bring somebody with you. Um, I definitely believe it will be a blessing. Now, when it comes to marriage and singleness, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. When it comes to marriage and singleness, over the centuries, God's people have been a little confused. Let me explain. For the first 1,500 years of the early church, the early church considered singleness the preferred status. And the more effective way to serve Jesus. In fact, singles in the early church would sit in front of the church and the married couples would sit in the back. But after the Protestant Reformation in 1517, things adjusted and shifted. And married couples moved up to the front while the singles took the back seat. Now, if you think being single today is hard, it's a cakewalk compared to the time of Christ. So let me just share with you just some concepts during Christ's life. In those days, when Jesus walked this earth, being single for any prolonged amount of time was considered rebellious. In fact, there were some rabbis, there were some rabbis that would actually teach that if you weren't married by 20, you were in sin. Woo! Some of y'all are just some sinners. Now, here's why. In that culture, I want you to know that carrying on the family name was of utmost importance. And children were of utmost importance. In fact, children were a little bit like a retirement. 
So you know how you look at your 401k right now, or some of you have a Roth IRA, or all these, we can go on and on. Okay, what am I going to do when I retire? Well, in those days, if you had children, you had a retirement plan, because you were just going to live with them. Amen? Right? That's how it should work. All, and all the parents said, yes, Lord. And so children were your retirement plan back then. And so if you didn't carry the name and if you didn't have children, it was really frowned upon and looked down upon that you were not set in life and it could possibly be disastrous. This was so important to the Hebrew people. Did you know that the word bachelor is not even in their vocabulary? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. That idea doesn't even exist. The idea of a man who was over 20 and single was really just a bad idea. So what do you think they felt? Did you know? And let me say it. Maybe you've never heard it before, but I want you to know Jesus Christ was a single adult. Amen? Where the single adults at? Jesus Christ was a single adult, and this was radical and countercultural. Could you imagine? Jesus' words and Jesus' lifestyle was so countercultural. It was a demonstration of something different in the world around him. Jesus was 30 years old, and he was a single Jewish man. And then to go further, he makes this out-of-pocket, odd statement. Are you ready for this? Let me just share with you briefly the statement that Jesus makes. It's really odd. He says this in Matthew 19, 11 through 12. Jesus says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made so by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, let me explain, and again, I'm taking this kind of out of a context here, but I want you to see this. A eunuch, if you don't know what a eunuch is, is someone who is celibate or someone who abstains from sexual activity. Are you with me? Now, Jesus tells us in this scripture, are you ready? There are three types of eunuchs, by birth, by man, and by choice. By birth, by man, and by choice. So let me explain to you. The other day, I was sitting with a friend of mine. And we were discussing back and forth singleness and sexuality. He was asking me some questions regarding the last couple of messages that I had preached. And he had a really good question for me, and I want to share it with you this morning. He said to me this, based off of the previous podcast. He says, if sex is God's design for us. And if sex is a witness to the gospel, and I know some of you are like, what is that? Go back to the podcast. I promise you'll get it. But he says, if sex is God's design for us, if sex is a witness to the gospel, he asks this question, then as Christians, do we look down upon those who cannot have it? He then mentioned his brother who was born with sickle cell. And he said that because of what he was born with, he was unable to engage in any sexual activity due to a disability. It was a real good question. My answer was this. Sex is simply a shadow or a sign of a greater reality. It's a portrait of the oneness we have with Christ. But because sex is only a shadow, sex is not the ultimate goal. 
So when Jesus refers to eunuchs by birth, he's referring to those like my friend's brother who cannot participate in sexual activity because of some sort of birth complication. Are you with me? And so even though these individuals miss out on the shadow, and even though these individuals miss out on the sign or a shadow of the age to come, they're not disqualified from fully participating in the full reality in the age to come. Sex is a shadow of something greater. We, we engage in this in the context that God has called us to in the covenant of marriage to display the beauty of the oneness of Christ. But you're not disqualified if you can't because of some birth complication because we don't get caught up in the shadows. Even though the shadow is good, the shadow points to something greater. And that is the concept is that you cannot get caught up in the shadow and that somebody who by birth may not be able to engage in this beautiful witness does not have to worry about being disqualified that they will still one day experience the reality. Are you with me? So eunuchs by birth are those because of some birth complication that can't engage in sexual activity. Now Jesus also mentioned those who become eunuchs by men. And usually what he's doing, he's referring to those who have been physically castrated. Do I need to explain that? Let me explain to you, in, that, in those days, um, a eunuch was castrated. Usually men who were castrated were usually like royal guards. They guarded or they worked inside of like the castle or inside of the, the home of royalty. And it just ensured that while they were guarding the princess, they wouldn't mix business with pleasure. Are you with me? Okay. And so when, a, when you guarded the queen or you guarded the princess or you, you worked in the royal palace, they would literally castrate the men so that they wouldn't engage in any funky stuff. And so Jesus says there are eunuchs by birth. There are eunuchs that were made that way by men. And then finally, number three, and I want you to watch this, by, by men and by birth were understood during Christ's time. But eunuch by choice was radical and unheard of. This is important. Jesus was not advocating somebody would cut, castrate themselves physically. What Jesus was referring to was the call to lifelong celibacy. Jesus explains that there would be some who would choose singleness and celibacy as a gift. What? As a gift that enables them to advance the kingdom of God with undivided devotion and unrestricted mission. There are some that would choose singleness and celibacy and look at it as a gift. And they would see it as a way in which they could advance the kingdom of God with undivided devotion and unrestricted mission. Now, if you're single and you're in this room right now, you're probably thinking, not my gift. Right? Jesus, you better have a gift receipt. That's, that's one gift that I'm taking back. Amen? Now, can I just deviate? How's my time? Okay, I need to finish pretty soon here. Can I just deviate really quick? Imagine if you went, okay, two types of Christians sometimes. There's three or four, but I like to let, you know, I like to do twos. There's people that when they want to hear God's word, they just open up their Bible and they read it out loud. And there's people when they want to hear God's word, they go and they find the nearest 
preacher or a prophet and say, hey, God, tell me. Please tell me something, right? Both of them, powerful thing. But could you imagine if you, want, you were like, you know what? I really need a word from the Lord. And so I'm just going to go. You know, there's this pastor, this preacher, there's this prophet that's speaking. You know, you know and I'm just going to go over there because you ever been there? I've been there. Come on, let's be honest, right? Like, oh, there's this, my favorite speakers coming in town. And, and uh, <laughs> none of you guys are agreeing with me right now. Um, and, you know, it just happens. Maybe it doesn't happen in this church. Could you imagine if you went to hear a word from the Lord, and then that time came when it came for prayer, and you went up there to get prayer, and the, and the man of God, the woman of God, the prophet, the prophetess is praying. And she comes, and he comes next to you. He begins to pray, and he just says, spiritual eunuch. <laughs> and you whispered in their false prophet. gather the stones <laughs> and then at some point you would probably remember this is why I go to inspired church <laughs> right I was wondering why I go to inspired this is sometimes I get a little annoyed but I get why pastor Phil just doesn't let anybody prophesy you know what I mean if it becomes a prophesy party God forbid what somebody's going to tell you right and like I want you to know I believe in prophecy I really really do but you know it gets a little dangerous someone comes up to you and tells you something and you're just kind of walking away like confused like what spiritual unit I'm walking away, <laughs> right? And you're like, I knew Pastor Phil warned me about those dates and mates prophets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you guys don't know about the dates and mates prophets. Do, you know, unless they're close to you and you, you know, you really trust them or whatnot. If you don't really know the person or whatever, somebody comes up to you and prophesies, hey, you two are going to be married. You know, that's just a, again, somebody trustworthy, you love them, you have kind of their relationship with you. I can feel that the Lord can lead you in that. That's fine. But, you know, stay away from the dates and the mates. Write that down. Dates and mates. Not a good idea, right? Because I need confirmation, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, God is saying that you two are getting married. But like, wait a minute. Who told you what, when, where, and how? That's not happening, right? Okay. All jokes aside, though, here's really what's important. Singleness. Are you ready for this? It's not a secondary status in the life of the church. But singleness is a gift. Singleness is a call from God. Now, whether you're called for it, listen, whether you're called to it for a lifetime or for a season, you're called to it. If you're a Christian, you're called to it. Singleness is a gift. It's a call. Now, whether it's a call for life or it's a call for a season, all of us are called to learn to live single. And in fact, sometimes we don't learn to live married because we haven't first learned to live single. Can I get a witness? And so if you're married today, you may think, man, I made some mistakes in my singleness. Well, God can still teach you how to live single in certain ways, and I'll explain that. But if you don't learn to live single, then you won't learn to live married. And some of you should take it as a thankful that God hasn't brought you the right one because if he did, you might have spoiled it anyway. God don't want to bring you the right one because you're going to spoil it and chase him away because you haven't learned to live single. Now, as far as I can tell, and you're going to just give me a little bit more. I'm going to go a little over, but I promise I won't be too long. As far as I can tell... Scripture defines two kinds of singles. Are you ready? For life and for a season. As far as I can tell, there are two types of singles that Scripture defines. For life and for a season. Let me explain each. For life, or I've also heard it called vowed celibacy, refers to individuals who make lifelong vows to remain single and sexually abstinent. 
Now, you're probably most familiar with this being practiced out in the Roman Catholic tradition with priests and nuns. But these vows also occur among monastic societies. And you know what's really crazy about these monastic societies? They usually give someone five to seven years to live it out before they make the vow. You know, a little funny side story. Jamila thought she was called to be a nun. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just felt the spirit right there. I'm blessed. No, she really was. But, but the Lord had other ideas. Amen? All right. Now, there, there are those in Scripture that are called to be single and celibate for life. And then there are those in Scripture who are called to be single and celibate for a season. Or dedicated celibacy is what I've heard it called. Now, this refers to an individual who's not made a lifelong vow to commit uh, to abstinence, but wants to remain faithful to the teachings of Scripture until they enter into the marriage covenant. Now, to the world, these concepts are not only foreign, but they're also foolish. But when viewed through the lenses of the gospel, they're actually beautiful. To the world, these concepts sound foreign and foolish, but when viewed through the lenses of the gospel, they're actually a beautiful testimony of God's faithfulness and his goodness. Both forms of celibacy are gifts, and they rely on divine empowerment to accomplish them. White-knuckling it is not good enough. Leaning on willpower is not good enough. In order to live a season of celibacy, whether it's for life or for a season, you need to rely on a stronger power than your own. Both forms of celibacy are expressions of your commitment to Christ first. For the vowed celibate, this is their decision to give themselves exclusively and lifelong as a gift to Jesus. In doing so, they forego the temporal sign of marriage in this age so that they can participate more fully in the marriage sign in the age to come. In that when we are in heaven and we are with Christ, we will be united to him forever. For those that are called to lifelong celibacy, your celibacy is a gift to Jesus. For those in here that you're not called to a lifelong celibacy, but you're not married, and so you're living a season of dedicated celibacy, you glorify Christ by remaining content in your singleness while waiting on God regarding your future spouse. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to invite, I'm going to finish here. Uh, this morning, I want to invite David to come up, and I just want to say a prayer before we leave, and we'll continue. Again, I really want to encourage you to come back. We're just kind of jumping into this, but I want to invite you to just hear me out when it comes, whether you feel like you're called to singleness for life or whether you feel like you're called to it only for a season, I want you to kind of hear me out. The gospel, the power of the gospel is in its ability, let me, the beauty of the gospel, can you just hear me out for a second? The beauty of the gospel is in its ability to take something that is despised and disgraced and transform it into something that is beautiful and a demonstration of God's grace. Hear me out, please, hear me out real quick. The beauty of the gospel is that it can take something that is despised and disgraced and transform it into something that is a demonstration of God's grace. Now, today, 
I want to honor all the singles in this room. You're a gift to the church. Can you hear me out, please? Singles, I want to honor you in this room this morning. You're a gift to the body of Christ. You preach a sermon to the world and to the church with your life. We need you. We need you. Can I get real practical? We need you to help set up and tear down. We need you to serve in the ministries. We need you to pray. We need you to worship. You're a gift to the body of Christ. The church doesn't move forward without the fuel of the singles. Marriages are not healthy if they don't have the singles preaching a message to them. And singles are not healthy if the marriages aren't preaching a message to the singles. We need you singles. Jesus Christ was a single adult. And I, need, and I need you to take comfort in knowing that he walked this life forgoing an intimate relationship with a woman. You're a gift to this church. And I want, you, I want to share something. Here's what you do. Singles, you bring gospel joy and prophetic hope. Let me explain that. Singles, you bring gospel joy and prophetic hope. Let me explain. And again, we're almost finished here. Prophetic hope. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 29 through 30. You are wrong. He's talking to some Pharisees that are arguing with him. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, that's the age to come, they neither marry nor are given into marriage. Now, whether for a life or whether for a season, a single adult commits to Christ, and that commitment points to a day that's coming. It's prophetic. That commitment is prophetic, and it preaches a message, and it points to a day that is coming. Jesus says, when I come back and we go into the new age, nobody will be given into marriage. What are you saying, Pastor Phil? I'm telling you that no one will be married in heaven. You know what else I'm telling you? Not only will there not be marriage in heaven, there won't be children in heaven. There will be no more procreation. And guess what? There won't be sex in heaven. Some of you are like, I'm walking out. You want to know why? Marriage, procreation, and sex, those are all shadows. They're beautiful things that we can participate now, and we can prophesy of a greater reality. We'll talk about that two weeks from now we talk about marriage. But as a single, what you're saying is, I forego the shadow to declare to the church and to the world of something greater to come. What is that greater to come? My pleasure is in Christ. My connection is in Christ. My family is in Christ. When we enter into the new age, there'll be no need for children because we'll all be brothers and sisters. When we enter into the new age there'll no, be no need for sexual pleasure because we'll experience a pleasure that we've never experienced before in a place that Christ has created for you and us and when we enter into a new age we'll never need the intimate connection that we have with a married couple because we'll be unified with Christ single adults we need you we need the message that you're preaching whether it's for life or for a season you're preaching that message Finally, you don't just bring a prophetic hope, but you bring a gospel joy. The gospel, I want you to know the gospel is good news. Amen? You know that? 
It's good news. We're finished here. The gospel is good news. It supplies joy for the struggle. The gospel, you know, some of us think the gospel tells us that we have to struggle. The gospel says in your struggle, there's something better. The gospel is good news. It's joy. And I was praying about this, and I want to speak specifically to those who find themselves in the midst of a battle of same-sex attraction. The gospel is not bad news for you. Can you give me a moment? Can I just speak to this? Because I think the church doesn't speak to this. And I feel like we demonize. And I don't want to demonize. I want to share the gospel. The gospel is good news for you if you're struggling with same-sex attraction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not bad news. There is a grace for you. There is a divine empowerment for you. There is a call for you. There is an ability for you to witness. There is an ability for you to glorify God even in this struggle. There is an empowerment and a grace and a gift and a call over your life. You're not missing out. Here's what the gospel tells the same-sex attracted individual that may be battling this morning. You may feel like you're missing out, but you're not missing out. There's something greater. Sex is only a shadow. Marriage is only a shadow. And I know you may want to be married and you may want to engage like others. But the reality is, is don't get caught up in the shadow that it leads you into sin. Are you with me? The gospel is good news, and the gospel says, the gospel says, hey, you're struggling. The gospel says, while you struggle, I got good news for you. This is not it. Don't get so caught up in the shadow that you miss the reality. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that tells you that you can't live a life on mission if you are same-sex attracted. Grab on to the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to crucify the flesh and lead a life that becomes a powerful witness to the church and to the world of the age to come. You know what we need? I might offend some people in here this morning. You know what we need? We need more people in the church willing to admit that they're battling with same-sex attraction. And it's sad that we don't because you're not preaching a message and the world's not hearing it and the church is not hearing it. And so the world misunderstands the church and the church misunderstands the world and what becomes, and the the enemy loves that because there's a big lie he gets to play with. Now don't get me wrong, homosexuality is a sin. That's where I stand. You want to talk about it privately, we totally can. But here's what I want to say. You're struggling with it? Come into a place where everyone's struggling. And hold on to the divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit that says crucify your flesh. And don't get caught up in the shadows. But there's something greater to come. And if you'll deny yourself and follow Christ, if you'll pick up your cross, you'll become a gospel witness to an entire generation that is being drugged into hell because the enemy is lying. We need that voice in the church. You guys hear what I'm saying? Let's pray.